The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show episode 382. My name is Chris. And my name is Noah. Hey there, Noah. We're in the same room we again. This are is really exciting. Room. Only this time I came to your pad. Yeah. That's nice. We're here in uh, Grand Forks in Noah's studio where uh, he actually does legitimate radio broadcasting too. So uh, we're big time here and Noah's got us all set up on the big show. Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, we're actually going to go through Noah's home automation setup. What works, what doesn't work, what hard learned lessons that he's paid for out of his own pocket. And then we're going to discuss the practical aspect of it, where Linux has a role and open source and where it doesn't in that setup and all of the different hardware and sort of features that you might want to look out for. Essentially, you know, a lot of houses are going this direction in, in, the, in the near future and there'll probably be completely commercial systems that come pre-installed in a lot of homes. There's already some of that happening today. However, a lot of us already have a place or a lot of us want to roll our own solution. And that's what we're going to talk about on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. Plus, in the news segment, yeah, you've probably been watching the news this week. GNOME 3.18 was released. Qualcomm's got an interesting, snappy running drone. And Valve hits another major landmark. We'll be talking about that. Plus, Windows could be outing your parents. There's another reason to switch your parents to Linux. And then we have some great feedback, some road trip follow-up. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we got? We got the picks. We got the picks. I love this. And it fits right in with the uh, with the um, the theme of uh, today's episode. This Z-Wave Home Automation Hub runs Linux on a Raspberry Pi. Uh, Z-Wave Europe and uh, Pop & Co. have launched a Pop Hub and Home Automation Gateway that runs Linux on a Raspberry Pi and supports the Z-Wave and IP smart devices. The Pop Hub's underlying Raspberry Pi 2 uh, SBC runs the Z-Wave middleware which Z-Wave Europe says is the first Z-Wave controller certified for the new Z-Wave Plus standard. Do you know about Z-Wave Plus there, Noah? I, I'm, I'm familiar with Z-Wave Plus, and I'm familiar with the tie-in with uh, Z-Wave over uh, Bluetooth and the tie-in with yes. Z-Wave over network. Ooh, maybe we'll be talking about that a little more. So Pop Hub, uh, P-O-P-P Hub, so I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it, supports Z-Wave wireless-enabled devices from more than 300 different manufacturers. you got HVAC systems, security, lighting, alarms, and windows and blinds, remote-controlled alarms. All that can be controlled with this unit. And you can control up to 230 individual devices, and it's just tiny, Noah. It's just our, it's the size of a Raspberry Pi with a case over it. Also, the app will notify you when uh, any alarms go off, and uh, here's the deets. The pop-up runs Linux-based firmware on an embedded Raspberry Pi, which packs a quad-core 900 megahertz Cortex-A7 and a 1 gigabytes of RAM, as probably many of you know. Now, there's a couple other interesting bits of details about the Linux itself it runs. I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. But there was also uh, an a, uh, Indiegogo that launched this week. I don't know if you saw this, Noah, but there's another uh, another home automation project that's using Ubuntu Snappy. Now, the thing that's really fascinating about this Z-Wave controller we're talking about right here for the PIX is it also runs Ubuntu Snappy, and I think that's particularly interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, is you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have these different machines running, and we're gonna talk more about drones in the future. Um, and and I think. I think this Z-Wave one in particular is a, is a is not a, is not exactly like a, a I don't quite understand but it's not like full-fledged Ubuntu snappy like they're not taking advantage of the transactional aspect of Ubuntu that's like their own hmm. custom I don't I'm going to read more into that cuz I don't quite understand that aspect of it but these types of devices Noah getting smaller and smaller now the size of a Raspberry Pi would you run your home automation off something Absolutely. like this Absolutely uh, Here's the thing I um I approach my home automation to a couple of things <clears throat> unlike my computer where I can put up um, with a couple little hiccups here and there when it comes to my appliances at my house when I walk into the bathroom and I want to use the you know the bathroom and I hit the lights I just want the lights have to come on every time with with zero equivocations and so 
if I can do that with the with the with a with a standard that runs on open source hardware or a combination of open source hardware and software, absolutely, I'd love to do that. You know what I like too about the Raspberry Pi uh, in there is it would I would think I don't know for sure, but I would think that if you have a hardware failure, you know, a year or two down the road, instead of having to rip out the whole piece of hardware and replace the whole infrastructure, you could just pull out the SD card that you're probably going to have a backup of too, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, get a new Raspberry Pi installed in the box yourself, right. and then just pop the SD card back in. Actually, I guess what I would actually do is, I, I guess what I would do is I would DD that SD card once I had everything configured, mm. and then uh, definitely, every, and then anytime I had to restore it or something like that, I would just put a blank SD card, DD the image back on there, and stick it back in. Yeah, maybe even periodically if I make changes right. or something, exactly. re-DD. That's kind of a nice. That's kind of a nice way to back up yeah. your home automation system. Actually, uh, you know what else you could do? No, you could store those images on a DigitalOcean droplet. Maybe you're having all your backups go there. DigitalOcean.com is the spot of the Linux Action Show. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL. Why? DigitalOcean has an entire infrastructure built on top of Linux using the KVM Virtualizer all running on top of SSD drives. You can get started in less than 55 seconds and pricing plans start only $5 a month. That'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. That's nuts. And if you use our promo code LASTDIGITAL, guess what? $10 credit. $10 credit means $5 rig, two months for free. You put some own cloud on there. You put some GitLab on there, some WordPress, some Ghost. I don't care. Shoot. You could even put BitTorrent Sync up there, a sync thing. You do it over at DigitalOcean.com. You use that promo code LastDigital. You support this show. You keep us on the air. And, and you get yourself an awesome rig up in the cloud. DigitalOcean has an amazing interface. It's very simple, very straightforward, and they have a great API that you can either take advantage of with a bunch of good open source apps already or write your own or just write something internally to snap it into your own infrastructure. And I want you to check them out, too, because they've just launched a brand new data center. Now they got data centers all over the world, in Germany, London, San Francisco, New York, Singapore. But I want you to check out the brand new one in Canada, because check out this name, Noah. They're calling the Canadian data center in Toronto, Tor 1. That's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. You know, I was looking, I was having a conversation after Linux Unplugged last week with a couple of guys, and they said, you know... You say that you can get a five dollar droplet for two months for free, but you can't really do anything with the five dollar droplet. I just whatever, looked, dude. I just looked. Nine of my droplets are five dollar droplets, and I'm doing lots of stuff. I have an airtime server that's running on a five dollar droplet. I have an EMR hosted for somebody that's trying it that's running on a five dollar droplet. I have a uh, a mumble server that's running on a five dollar yep, droplet. Yep, yep. I have an IRC my Quasal Core. Mm-hmm. Is running on a five dollar droplet. I have tons of stuff. The JBFTP server. Is I think running our on a $5 I think droplet. our virtual lug mumble server runs on a five dollar droplet. I'm Should not sure. Be. It might be a ten dollar, but it's it's right in that really reasonable price range. Point is, there are tons of stuff that you can do with just a five dollar droplet. And if you think for one second that it's that it's yeah. you know, that well, you, if you if you don't if you don't then you don't really know how Linux works because right. the nice yeah. advantage of Linux servers, and this is why Linux is so dominant in the server space, is mm-hmm. the mad amount of things you can get done in a in like a really reasonable amount of resources. And the other thing that's super brilliant about that, that's why we love Linux, is when you add more horsepower to it, it all just scales up brilliantly. You know, right. It can go from a watch to a supercomputer. Yeah. So uh, you try the promo code LASTDIGITAL, try it for free for a couple of months, support this show, and also really, I mean really, it is a lot of fun to play with these systems. If you enjoy tinkering with your computer, then it is a rush to mess with a system that is on a super fast connection that has all SSD drives. I mean, it is just the greatest. And the uh, I had I was talking to a gentleman the other day that was talking about um, they were he was looking at the at certification and you can rent labs, right? 
it's actually cheaper to go rent oh, sure. two or three. Well, you can do hourly even at DigitalOcean. Right, right. And then you can set it up with their local uh, yeah. their local land so yep. you can simulate yep. having production servers yep. on, on a land. And the private network is perfect for that. It really is. That, yeah. And they have a ton of good uh, community written um, tutorials that all have been uh, edited by their professional editors, mm-hmm. vetted and all that stuff. So it's some of the best documentation on the web to take your droplet even further. DigitalOcean.com and use that promo code LASTDIGITAL. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. I have so much love and respect for that company because they have made my life mm-hmm. so much easier. And the fact that it's all running on top of Linux is totes amazing. Speaking of something that's totes amazing, yeah, I just said it twice. Uh, <laughs> I cannot believe we have never talked about Avidmux or Avidmux. I'm not quite sure how you say it. I'm, I'm going re- to go with Avidmux. It's A-V-I-D-E-M-U-X. And it is... I mean, I just, I cannot believe we've never covered this because it is such a critical tool to my daily production workflow that it is one of the most self-serving app picks I've ever done, and yet I've never mentioned it. <laughs> like, oh, I checked the the, the, the uh, last picks uh, site on jupiterbroadcasting.com. He didn't believe it. Like, didn't. He, he looked like two or three times, he's like, well, maybe there's a mistake. Maybe I did a whole site right. search and everything, like, didn't I? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, so he's th- like, well, how do we spell? Let's double check on the spelling, because yeah. I, I, I think we've done it. We must have done it. We didn't do it? How do we not do it? And you know what? Even if we did, it's, it's almost worth a second mention, because it's probably been so long, if, mm-hmm. if it's not any of those places. So I, I want you to try this free video editor designed for just simple cutting, adding filters, and re-encoding. It supports many file types, AVIs, MPEGs, uh, MKVs, MP4s. And what it does is it makes the task of clipping a selection of video mm-hmm. or re-encoding a video or recontainerizing video very, very easy. It has QT and GTK interfaces available for whatever your pleasure is. Mm-hmm. And the really, 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 really nice feature of AvidMux is say you download a YouTube video or say you download something off the web and you just like, you want to go get a sound bite, right? right? You want to go get a quote, just something yep. fun, right? You want to make a ringtone, whatever. You use AvidMux. You can select just the in and out points you want. It's a little tiny bit hokey, but once mm-hmm. you play with it, it works really well. You select the in and out points you want and then it supports the ability to just copy the source video and audio and recontainerize it. So you can go from an MP4 to an MKV or from an MKV wow. to an MP4 without having to re-encode the video or audio. So you don't lose any quality and it's instantaneous because you're just wrapping it in a new container. You're not re-encoding awesome. the video. So if you've downloaded like an MKV and you have a device that only plays MP4s, you could use this as long as it's H.264 and, and an audio codec that the device supports. Uh, AvidMux will recontainerize it with no quality loss. This is brilliant for me because I use clips in a, several of our shows and uh, I don't I don't want to lose quality because the shows themselves go through an encoding process and right. they, they get encoded again. Yeah. And so if I'm double encoding, you lose quality. So the nice thing about this is none of that, no, none of that, none of that retranscoding. But on top of that, mm-hmm. obviously, it's available for Linux, mm-hmm. BSD, Mac and Windows, and it's under the it's it's a GPL app. And it's just I mean, it, it unless I'm doing really heavy editing now. Mm-hmm. It is. I, this is why I can't believe I haven't talked about it because it is. It is how I do video editing mm-hmm. under Linux. It's how I do ninety percent of my video editing now because ninety percent of what I do is grab Clipping. a section, clip it, and and export it. Right. And yeah. that's just so much of my workflow. And the fact that I can install it on any of my machines right from the repo means yeah. that if I sit down on a machine and I need to clip and I don't have yeah. it, 10 seconds later, I have it. See, that right there, what you just touched on, is the number one thing. You know, it, we, we all talk about the advantages and disadvantages of proprietary software and open source alternatives and stuff like that. But what you just touched on was the key thing that drove me nuts back when I was a Windows user was that... I would sit down at another machine or I would reload my own machine and then I had to go find boxes and CD keys and activation things. And I just, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. take it anymore. Like that's the one part of using my computer that I just can't deal with anymore. And so 
I'd rather deal with the concept. I, I'd rather deal. I, I guess I'd rather deal with with some of the quirks. little weird weird quirks yeah. of, of of Linux software. And some of it, well, actually, some of it is just the weird quirks of working with H.264 video in AvidMux. Yeah. So like sometimes oh, okay. it can't clip because it doesn't have a keyframe to go off of and things like that. And that's just that's just the way H.264 video works. Mm-hmm. So some of its weirdness is is that. All right, so that's AvidMux, and that's available for all distributions and pretty much all desktop operating systems. Now we're going to talk about something that's just for the Ubuntu folks. And we don't normally do this on the show. In fact, we haven't done it for quite a while even. But every now and then there's something that comes out that really solves a problem on the Ubuntu desktop that's worth talking about. We've mentioned it briefly in Linux Unplugged eons ago. It's called AppGrid. A-P-P-G-R-I-D. AppGrid. You probably have heard about it a bit, but if you haven't tried it, I encourage you to do so. If you're really frustrated with Synaptics or the Ubuntu Software Center or anything like that, Give AppGrid a shot. It is an alternative to the Software Center, and it's damn fast. It's written from scratch, and it's designed for speed with swift performance throughout, and it's fairly elegant. It's a clean design, and it also sort of has some of that new uh, Unity touch look to it as well. Yeah. And it's pretty much ready to go. You download a single dev file, and it's it's got it's got comments and ratings, and you download one dev file, you install it, and you've got a whole app store with, with a community that people have been reviewing software and categorizing software and it's a little intimidating at first because it just it launches and it's just a long list of software but you can very quickly go through and start sorting different categories and things like that one of the other things i like a lot about it is it's speed obviously but the speed you don't seem to lose speed while it's installing software so i can go through and bang 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 click install click install and i can just keep browsing and keep installing more software and i'll just add it to the pending queue and just keep banging through them as i go sure and it keeps running while i'm doing that uh, I was pretty impressed. Now, obviously, Ubuntu is not my daily driver, so I haven't played with it a lot, but I play yeah. with it a little bit today. I was curious because I know you play with it too. What do yep. you think? Yeah. So, uh, as far as the UI, I love it. I think it's way cleaner. I think it's uh, it's very well laid out, and I think app discovery is just ten times better than it is in the Ubuntu store. However, it took me a good thirty seconds to figure out how to actually install something. Like I didn't. Yeah, because the install me- button's hidden up. That's kind of right. the, that's what I mean. The new Unity Touch UI. You, you know, they put a lot of stuff up there in that banner. That yeah. top. Yeah. But save that, everything is awesome. And you said it best. I, th- I think it really does blow the, uh, the Ubuntu App Store out of the, out of the water. Now, that said, if you're a new user to Linux, if you're a us- new user to Ubuntu, that makes a lot of sense for you. Any of us? Come on, we're dropping at the terminal and sudo apt-get install, sure, whatever yeah. it is we want. Sure, yeah, but couldn't you see, like, you know, because I know the number one OS you deploy for folks is oh, Ubuntu. Oh, absolutely. For and, new people, yeah. And if somebody was so savvy enough to be able to want to install software from time to time, I would way rather put this Heck in front of them. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that, check it out. You can find it at AppGrid. That's app, A-P-P-G-R-I-D dot org. And then it's just a simple download for Ubuntu 14.04 or later. You got to have the LTS or later. Hey, Noah. Chris. Did you know that if you wanted to submit a runs Linux or a desktop application or an or a open source project that needs spotlighting, you could do that over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com and you could submit them there or you can email them to us directly at linuxactionshow at reddit.com. We love really great desktop apps for Linux that people don't know a lot about. I love exposing, because I think there's this narrative that goes along about, oh, there's no good apps for Linux, really. Like that's what the yeah, Mac users say and stuff right. like that. In actuality, I think Linux has some of the best apps. I mean, like Avidmux and Quasal and things like yeah. this. That, and, then all, and then there's other things we all have, like Firefox and Chrome. But right. there are really, really incredible tools on Linux that just do not get enough attention. If you know of one and you and we have not given it proper attention, linuxactionshow.reddit.com or email us directly. Go you, to know, the content you know what page. else, too, we're looking for is um, Runs Linux. Yeah, if good you ones. Have, if, you have, if you have some really unique Runs Linux or something that's really cool, particularly the people that are involved um, 
with doing like projects like the like the gentleman that wrote in a couple weeks ago about the school bill project yeah yeah, yeah. Like stuff stuff like That's that so is neat. super super cool yeah, yeah. and uh, and certainly as you're walking around if you find things that, that are running linux definitely yep. grab a picture yep. from oh, yeah. but if you have more detailed information of how that's set up we'd sure like to talk to you and if and you can you can like chris said uh, submit it via email submit it uh, via the reddit or mm-hmm. you can go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com choose linux section show from the drop down menu in the contact link and let us know that way that'd be great and uh, i'll give also a plug while you're over on the jupiter broadcasting <laughs> website you can check out jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover, where you'll find a you'll find a live map of my road trip. I'm in Grand Forks right now, and this thing, no, I look at the, this thing. This rover tracker is sometimes sometimes so accurate. Right now, it's it's literally showing the parking spot that the rover is parked in right now. Like That's it is kind of creepy. It is accurate down to the parking spot level, uh, and that changes from time to time. And you know, we actually had a couple of people come meet up with us along the way because they followed us on the tracker. Yeah. So you can follow us in real time. I'm going to be driving for uh, another. Uh, uh, seven, eight days, I think. Yeah. So at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover. Also below the map is a link to the rover uh, YouTube playlist. And we've done nine rover logs so far. And um, those are really cool. I think they have turned out. They turned out way better than I expected. Mm-hmm. I did not really think I would enjoy them as much as I have posting them. And also they have been extremely popular with the audience, too, which is really cool. You know, I, th- I think uh, I think Adia hit it on the head is that a lot of times when you see somebody in very in something very one dimensional, it's really cool to see another aspect of their life or another interest of their life. Mm. And that's essentially what you're presenting. And that is that that is specifically what the rover logs exemplify. So if you want to get to know Chris, the person rather than Chris, the host of the Linux, Action Chris, Show, the person under under extreme, extreme circumstances. Right. Right. But, but you know what? You, you seem very happy. Every it's, time. We're yeah. having a really good time. Yeah. I mean, we're really enjoying the hell out of it. Um, so we have the YouTube playlist over there. We have a link to the meetup uh, page if you want to get on the meetup discussion. And also you can email us uh anything roadshow related uh i got a great email today from somebody in utah because we're going to be on the way back to washington we're mm-hmm. going to go down to utah guy emailed me and says hey the wife and i would love to cook you guys a home-cooked meal oh that's nice that's so nice rover jupiterbroadcasting.com really nice to hear from you guys also getting some great ideas on how i can set up some really nice dc power setups in the uh, mobile studio so i appreciate all of that and then also anyone who wants to support the show over at uh, all the shows every show on the network um and the road trip effort Patreon.com slash today, we are posting exclusives for people uh, that want to know even more behind the scenes of the road trip stuff. It's really something really cool that is really unique and personalized that we're making available exclusively to our supporters at Patreon.com slash today. So thank you, everybody who's uh, kicking in over there. We really appreciate it. And uh, it has been a great road trip. And I encourage you to check out the uh, the uh, Rover Log YouTube playlist. It's linked over at JupiterBroadcasting.com slash Rover. They're all really short videos, too. So it's not a big time waste uh, time. Well, there's nine of them now. So now it's getting to be a bit of a time waster, but each of them go pretty quick. All right, Noah, let's do the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Go to last.ting.com. That's las.ting.com. You'll get our $50 discount. That's only going to be good for the month of September. $50 discount off of any device. Or if you have a Ting compatible device, guess what, Noah? You can get $50 of service credit. Or? Or you could get it off your device. I mean, it depends. You know, it depends. If you got it. So here's the thing, Noah. Here's the thing. They have a CDMA network and a GSM network. Now, I know you're not hip to these technologies, Noah, but these are two different types of cellular technologies. Okay. Yeah. All on one service there. Yeah. Yeah. You get to choose and pick there, Noah. You get to choose and pick between your CDMA and your GSM. Now, if you have a device on one of these networks already, you could bring it over to Ting and then you get a $50 server credit. Now, Noah, I'm not making promises, but I'm telling you there's a very, very good chance that's going to pay for more than your first month of service. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Oh yeah. yeah. See, we converted them. We converted them. You know, I uh, have gotten to this habit of buying unlocked GSM devices because it's it's. It, I really feel like I own my phone. Mm-hmm. So the other night, <clears throat> I had a friend come over to my house, and I was telling him about Ting, and he goes, "Oh, you know, I really want to try that. You know, what should I what should I use?" Yeah. And so we went to Amazon. Did you know? Have you heard of the company Blue? Yes. So they have some blue phones on Ting. So we bought an unlocked GSM dual SIM Android phone for thirty five. Really? Prime eligible. It'll be here on Monday. Yeah, well, they've got some crazy good deals on the blue phone, actually. If you go to last.ting.com, so you get the $50 uh, uh, deal, mm-hmm. then it's really nuts. Um, so let's see. I was trying to remember. So here's the blue mini. The blue mini, the LTD edition, uh, unlocked, no contract, no early termination fee, only pay for what you use, flat $6 a month, $111 for the blue mini LTE. Hmm. For an unlocked Android phone that you just don't, and it looks it looks like the design is very similar to the HTC One, so I dig that a lot. And yeah. you know what you know what I have been using is I've been using the hell out of the Netgear Zing. Ting has given me a Netgear Zing to use on the road, mm-hmm. and the thing I really like about the Netgear Zing is it is all on one screen. Everything right. from the Wi-Fi password, the password you need to know to join the network, and everything is just right there on the OLED screen. Here's the other thing though is I had to do a little technical troubleshooting with this bad mama jamma. Yeah, being able to. Right on the LCD screen or OLED screen, whatever it is, being able to um, like go in and update the PLR codes and mm-hmm. update the carrier settings and yes. and reset the factory defaults without having to go into a web browser, without having to have my you know box join the crappy wireless network that hasn't been set up yet yep. and not be able to talk to anything. Yep. I can just do it right there on the screen of the device and, and it, I can read it back and it's just so nice. Have you ever done that thing where you're trying to troubleshoot so you Google the page and then you connect to the hotspot so you yes. can figure it? Yeah. But, but then, then you can't. Then, then you can't refresh the page. Yeah. So you get back and then yeah. it loses it all together. Yeah. So you have to go back to the first hotspot yep. and refresh yep. your page and go back to the Netgear Zing solves all that. It's a flat six dollars a month once you buy. It, it's unlocked you own it and here's the other thing i've only charged this thing twice this whole road oh, trip. really yeah i've only charged it twice i don't i mean i think the thing's like mostly battery and it looks like an expensive device too like yeah. it looks really really yeah. high class like yep. i wouldn't mind sitting down at a meeting table and setting that down as compared to some of these plastic and fingerprinty things you know what else noah it has two little tabby tabs that flip open and then you can plug in a larger antenna to it so it has the hookups really? built into the Zing for a larger antenna setup. So that makes, you know, getting uh, when you have a weaker signal and you want to just get every th- every every bit of signal you can. Mm-hmm. Amazing for that. You can get a little Yagi antenna and hook it up to these things. You're good to go. I'm proud of you. What? You used a ham radio, sir. <laughs> well, I think that's terrific. Hey, look what this trailer's doing to me, man. Look yeah. what it's <laughs> But no, uh, what better of a device to use on a road trip? Yeah, exactly. So go over to last.ting.com. You get the $50 discount. Also, check out their blog. This is just sort of right up my alley. It's not It's not like uh, it's not like it's going to solve all your wireless problems, but I think this particular one might solve your cable problems. Choosing the best set-top box is step one on the way to get, uh, good uh, cutting the cord for good. And they have a write-up about the pros and cons of a lot of the different set-top boxes. And if you're kind of in the cord-cutting market right now, it's worth checking it out. Go to last.ting.com. Even if you're not going to get a Ting phone, you can support the show by going to last.ting.com. Read their blog, dig around the Ting site, and honestly, if you're just kind of curious about how Ting would work for you, try their savings calculator. They'll just put in your existing usage and yeah. you can see what it is. I mean, it's a flat $6 a month for a phone and then it's just pay for your usage. It's really straightforward. They have CDMA and GSM to pick from. So go to last.ting.com and uh, you got a couple more days to get adva- to take advantage of that $50 discount. Last.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Action Show. Man, am I a happy boy. Oh my gosh. Gnome 3.18 is out. Now, I haven't updated yet because it hasn't hit Arch Stable yet, but I am checking every single moment. Number one feature for me, even though I am not a fan of Google Drive anymore, I'm still using it for a lot of show notes. Integrated Google Drive right into Nautilus. What you got? 
Nautilus, speaking of Nautilus, I love the new copy dialogue improvements. It looks so slick. It's a little, it's, it's using the yeah. new GTK3 popover uh, technology that's mm-hmm. only been around for like one GNOME release, and now they're using it for some really slick stuff. Also, the Places sidebar looks a lot cleaner, a lot more organized. They also have a new location called Other Locations, which provides useful overviews of local network locations and things like that all in one spot. Haven't tried it yet, but I'm really looking forward to that because I use network browsing in Nautilus quite a bit. And it seems like they did a lot of little polish. Like, look at the cancel buttons uh, next to the transfer. Yeah, right. Like, there are those big blocky X's before, and now that's mm-hmm. like a little round button and mm-hmm. it has some like shading and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and I believe really they're pulling slick. from the Edwadia theme. So, whatever your theme is, those buttons will reflect uh, that theme which is really nice. Uh, you can also, just for those of us who have touch screens on our laptops, there's been some improvements there uh, on how GNOME handles like contextual menus and things like that. And while dragging a file and folder, no, it doesn't care at all. While dragging, I, hey, my XPS has a touch screen. And if you noticed, I actually used it the other day for a very useful thing because you were holding it and you had your hands and mouse on the keyboard, but it wasn't connected to the wireless. So I just tapped the screen and connected it to wireless without having to take the computer from you. That is actually kind of useful. And yeah. you know what else I use it for is sometimes, this is, this is a bad visual, but sometimes I'm sitting in bed with the, with the laptop on my belly. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, uh, yeah. And, and, and what are you doing with the laptop on your belly and, and then, like, in bed at night? And the trackpad's like on my boobs, you know? Okay. So it's like way up on my on my body. So, so that the lower part of your body is not obstructed with anything is what you're telling me? I guess. But okay, not, all right. Yeah. <laughs> but because my hands are on the screen, so they're not doing anything hanky. But what I do is I hold I hold the laptop by the screen and I put my two thumbs on the right and left. Yeah. And I can scroll through uh, articles that I'm reading with my right thumb like a tablet while it sits on my belly. <laughs> So, um, just out of curiosity, yeah. why can't it sit on your lap like every other normal person? Is well, that something? First of all, my belly, my from? belly likes the warm laptop. Oh, second, all right. second of all, because uh, last night, like for example, I was laying in the hotel room and <laughs> I just had the pillows propped up and I was watching Star Trek on TV. It was pretty. It was pretty awesome. It was good. Uh-huh. Anyways, back to Gnome. Uh, uh, Star Trek. That's what they're calling it these days. <laughs> So uh, we talked about this in Linux Unplugged, but I don't, I don't know if we mentioned it in last, and I think it's worth a mention, is um, we now are also getting like uh, firmware updates through GNOME software, which is really nice. Now, you have to be a part of the Linux vendor firmware service. It's a new initiative. Um, it aims to make it possible for hardware manufacturers to distribute firmware updates on Linux in GNOME software. So now, like if you have a firmware piece, instead of having like reboot into like FreeDOS or whatever to update something or load into Windows if they only have a Windows like updater, you're, you're going to be able to do it right now through GNOME software. How, now, how how many how many companies do you think will take advantage of that? Well, it's really cool, but I don't see you know Lenovo publishing a BIOS update for me through. What if Lenovo went all in? Like they just this is our Linux laptop and this is our premier Linux laptop. And, and then I know a lot of people aren't going to like this, but I would say if there's going to be a company that's going to do that, it's going to be Dell. Maybe. I think they should. I think I think because here's why is whichever company does it, that's going to be the company that I'm going to want to buy a laptop from, like yeah. my next yeah, laptop possibly. True. I mean, if yeah, it's a good true. machine yeah. and I can get all my firmware updates that way. Right. Uh, the new calendar application finally makes it into GNOME. You've been able to play with it for a while. It came actually in uh, as a preview in GNOME 3.16, and it's actually now shipping as standard. Uh, automatic screen brightness control is uh, is now available if your machine has an integrated light sensor like most laptops do. New characters applications really good. A lot of other improvements and speed and bug fixes. So the no new GNOME 3.18 is looking so good. I loves it. I can't wait to get my hands on it. But if it sucks, I'll tell you the truth when we try it. I will review it. I'm not gonna. Sometimes I get all excited about these things. I try. I'm like, oh, that was bad. But I, I, they've been they've been nailing it out of the park with these latest releases. Admit it. Admit it. I Noah. do like GNOME. In fact, I. Here's the thing. You here's how you can tell I like GNOME. I have no shortage of Ubuntu laptops. Yet the laptop that's sitting in front of me is running GNOME. That's right? true. So yeah. it's not like it'd yeah. be real. It's not like it'd be a whole lot of challenge to me to go grab an Ubuntu computer. Yeah. 
yeah. or a Fedora laptop for that matter. So I was kind of uh, inferring about this a little bit during the pick segment and uh, during when we were talking about that uh, Z-Wave box that runs Linux. So Qualcomm is also kind of getting on the Ubuntu snappy bandwagon and they, um, they're doing something really interesting. Uh, they're going for a drone reference platform. Ubuntu-powered drone reference platform. Yes, you heard that right. An unmanned aerial vehicle, or UAE, UAV could be another way to put, to put it. Uh, it was announced by Qualcomm last week. It's called Snapdragon Flight. Now, the Snapdragon is Qualcomm's brand of processors. The Snapdragon 801-based development platform supports Lenaro's version of Ubuntu, as well as OpenCV, according to an email to Linux.com and a Qualcomm from Qualcomm representatives. Here's the deets. It's going to support... Uh, VGA video cameras, it's going to have uh, stereo, it's going to offer dual band 802.11n, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth 4.0, 5 gigahertz uh, GPS. It provides a variety of sensors, including in, in, um, inertial measurement units, a barometer sensor, and ports for additional sensors you could add yourself. It also supports advanced real-time flight control with the help of the Snapdragon 801 system-on-a-chip Hexagon DSP. Yeah, it's a Hexagon DSP. Qualcomm says they plan to release these later, and uh, in 2016, Intel's also announced it's investing 60 million into the Hong Kong, into a Hong Kong-based company called China DGI, who's trying to do something similar. And oh, DGI, yeah, that makes me. So, you know, they make the Phantom, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're going to get oh, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. And Intel's working with them to do. <sighs> yeah, yeah. This is heating up. And earlier this week, Early Robotics, E R L E, I think it's called Early Robotics, launched an Indiegogo campaign. For a six-legged early spider robot running a snappy Ubuntu core on a Raspberry Pi 2 Model B board. It starts at $400. The embedded-oriented snappy provides features like secure transactional updates, as well as open-source app development platforms. Now, the Snapdragon flight from Qualcomm will be using Ubuntu, but remember it's using Lenaro's version of Ubuntu, which they say is essentially the same thing, like you get app downloads but no transactional updates. I don't know how you call it Ubuntu Snap if you don't get transactional updates, but apparently right. that's a thing. Snapdragon Flight is available today for select OEMs and expected to be available commercially in the first half of 2016. Now imagine. That's a, so cool. A Ubuntu-powered drone platform that, you know, you could buy or JB would buy that we would then build on top of for media production or for, you know, we were looking, we were just looking at, um, on Unfilter, we were looking at these drones that were uh, building a rope bridge. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Could you imagine yeah, like running? Yeah, do that. Yeah, man. Cat five cable with a drone, oh, like gosh. running cat five. <laughs> you know my 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 dog, my smaller dog. He's only like that big. I bet mm -hmm. I could have the drone walk him. I could take him outside and <laughs> yes. let him go to the bathroom, and yeah. I could bring him back you in. Know, and I you could also, walk him around the block. Speaking of home automation, you know what else you could do is you could just have a few automated drones that land and recharge, and and then fly again and just do automated surveillance of your home all the time. Don't tempt me. Don't. <laughs> I could have I could have a drone that has a Raspberry Pi. Yes. It could be a flying torrent server. Oh my god. Yeah, gosh. they can like go to different places and connect to different public Wi Fi so I could torn stuff without getting in trouble. Oh, <clears throat> oh. Not that I would ever no, download anything no, illegal. No. Get that. All yeah. right. So, uh, those of you who play Steam are probably pretty excited by, uh, by the fact that, uh, boy, I sound like an old man. You play that Steam, kids? Uh, well, guess what? There's 1,500 games natively available for Steam on Linux. 1,500 games. That is 1,500 for those of you in the UK. <laughs> Uh, Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's quite significant. So Windows is at six thousand four hundred sixty-four to put it in perspective. That's the Mac is at two thousand three hundred twenty-three. We are we are catching up to the Mac. Yeah. like nobody's business. And new games continue to be ported almost daily. Uh, the, the the Steam counter still shows Linux market share below one percent, but. I don't think that's too surprising since there isn't been any major exclusives well, on Linux. Well, not only that, the other thing is, too, is I think where 
where Valve is, is anticipating that this is really going to take off is when they actually put a box in the living room. Because mm-hmm. I tell you what, the biggest reason I haven't touched Steam is because I don't have mm-hmm. a box in my living room. The second that I can put a, a, an entertainment box in my living room and I can go back to the days when I was playing N64 except do it with modern games, I'm going to be buying more games. And all those games are going to be running on Linux effectively. Also, speaking of the Steam machine, I guess some improved support for the new uh, Valve controller was uh, was personally hand-tested by Greg KH and, and merged into the uh, 4.2 Linux kernel, I believe. So uh, the Linux kernel is going to have native, out-of-the-box support for the uh, Valve Steam controller, which probably also means the final Steam boxes will ship with kernel 4.2. Because Valve worked with Greg personally to get him a wow. controller so he could try it and make sure the driver works in the kernel. Jeez, man. Think about what that means. When we, We're at 2015 now, and what you're telling me is that we are at a point where if you install Linux, you're going to have better out-of-the-box support for your, for your game controller right mm-hmm. from the manufacturer than you will if you we did it on on Windows, and not only is that the case, but that's not a case of well, it's been th- you know ten years, so now that old printer works with no, 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 no. This is like a brand new device hasn't even shipped yet, and and it will work right out of the box yep. with Linux. Yep, that just tells you how far we've come. Yeah, and and we'll see if there's ever like any exclusives that really push Linux gaming on the desktop. I don't know, but I I think if Steam OS has some traction, it probably will naturally overflow into the Linux desktop. So that is something to definitely watch for. Now Noah. This story's been floating around for a couple of weeks, so I think it came out like towards the end of August, and I just love it to pieces because Windows 10 has people freaked out about privacy, and mm-hmm. it's one of the many reasons we've heard in our inbox is that people are looking at Linux. I mean, Windows 10 is seriously driving some Linux adoption because people are freaked out about privacy. Now, obviously, that's a niche of the Windows switchers, but it's a very important one because it's probably one of the more educated populace of the Windows well, user base. Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse than Windows 8. <laughs> yeah, just when you thought. This terrifying new Windows 10 feature could out kids to their parents. Now, they, they use the example of perhaps like a, a, a kid running Windows 10 mm-hmm. in a computer that's set up in, in, with a family account could be automatically telling parents that their teens are visiting LGBT support websites and emailing details of all kinds of nasty things. This feature enabled by default for anyone who registered family accounts it sends weekly breakdowns of browsing history to the parents, even the kids, even when they like try to browse anonymously in private mode, it still sends them reports of where they visited and what websites they went to. The tool also specifically flags up search terms and blocked content that children tried to access, meaning teens experimenting, say, with like their sexuality or something like along those lines, will have that stuff detailed in an email directly to their parents. That's horrible. Now, you know what, you know what this isn't going to catch? This is not going to catch the teens that are smart enough to uh, use our $10 promo code to get a DigitalOcean droplet and then use X2Go to get into their DigitalOcean droplet and then do all their browsing yeah. on their DigitalOcean droplet. Right. Yeah. And basically, if you listen to the show, you know how to bypass that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but in, in a more serious vein, though, forget the child use, right? I mean, we have plenty of tools, and as a parent, I appreciate the tools that I can use yeah, to control my kids. Yeah, there was that element of it, right? But when it is an integrated uh, by default into the operating system, imagine the potential for abuse. Imagine the potential for you know, me to go over to uh, to a buddy's house that doesn't really know much about his computer, and I set this up. I mean, yeah. it's one thing. It's one thing if I have to install software and he sees me downloading something. But if all I'm doing is I'm in the control panel and I'm toggling yeah. buttons. Can I give you a devil's advocate? Yeah, uh, not please, that I would please, actually. No, not that I would actually do this. But if you think about it, software that you install on your PC that monitors mm-hmm. everything you do is essentially, by very definition, spyware. Exactly. Yeah. And so you have to give it unfettered access. It has to, you have to implicitly trust the vendor yeah. 
And we have seen stories about spyware software that was totally bogus. Absolutely. And the thing is, is also it generally impacts performance, mm-hmm. and you know who knows if updates break it and things like that. So if Microsoft has acknowledged that this is something a, a decent percentage of their user base wants, maybe it makes sense to integrate in the operating system instead of rely on hokey third-party bolted-on software? So I would say not all of them, but I'd say 80% of the detractors that you just spoke about on third-party software would apply to Microsoft. You still have to trust that Microsoft is on the up and up with implementing that software. Um, and Right, and what is Microsoft's responsibility if they get a national security letter or a warrant from the United States government because they're right. trying to stop, stop some kid from putting an alarm clock and, in a suitcase? And then the big thing that makes the difference to me and why I say it's it, there's a deep line in the sand and I'm on one side and, and what you're talking about is on the other side is at the end of the day, if I go to third-party software, it's my choice. I have chosen to install it. Whereas mm-hmm. in the operating system, I'm no longer getting a choice. That's true. These are turned on by default when you enable, enable a family account. Yeah, the, and, the I, default, and I don't even the default want, is excessive. And I don't even want the I don't even want the I don't even want the ability there on the computer by default. Right. I would like it to be totally not even existent unless I explicitly go out and look for it. Well, and as a parent, I would look at this and go, well, so does that mean then that they have essentially just built surveillance into my operating system? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. That's exactly what it means. And that's creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's that would make me want to switch to Linux. Parents, switch your kids to Ubuntu. Then here's what you do. I just my now I only have three kids, so mm-hmm. I may not be qualified to talk on the subject. Right, but um, uh, you know, what I would do is try a little parenting mm-hmm. to say what you can and cannot do. <laughs> Combine that with yeah. a little open DNS or whatever you want at the yeah. router level, mm-hmm. and then put them on Linux because kids are going to be kids, and they're going to go to sites, they're going to download things, they're going right. to have crap in them. The worst thing you could do for your child is put them on Windows because that machine is going to get gunked up. It's yep. going to be when my children use technology. I want them to come away excited and interested and curious. Yeah. I do not want them to be frustrated, discouraged, and annoyed. And, and scared. And, and scared. And scared. And scared. Yeah. Uh, scared if I click on this. Scared yeah. if I install that. Scared right. if I try this. My yeah. computer won't work and I can't do this. Yeah. And I take it to the example of if you had a swimming pool in your backyard, you can tell your kids all day long, don't jump in the pool. Don't jump in the pool. If you don't know how to swim, don't jump in the pool. You can put up fences. You can, but at the end of the day, if you know your kid's going to get in the pool, don't you think it'd be a good idea to teach him how to swim? Yeah, you know. And I look at the same thing with the computer. That's I, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. They, when you when you when you when you put Linux in front of them, it's safer. But then when they start to get curious, mm-hmm. it doesn't limit their potential. Yeah, and that to me is the is like the key thing. Like <clears throat> my son Dylan, mm-hmm. he is six years old. He is now tracking like Minecraft version releases and the yeah. features. Yeah, and he's like, Dad, what, he's telling me last night. Uh, 1.9 comes in and they have this new commands called slash real world and he's telling me like oh well, what slash real world does and he's like I keep checking updates on my laptop but the but the new package hasn't come down yet I'm like wow <laughs> this is amazing way to go son and he's like do you tell me how to get uh, Minecraft 1.9 I'm like no I don't know how to do yeah, that yeah. <laughs> you know like okay that's do, great do you know how to tell me how to get Minecraft <laughs> he's gonna be yeah. I mean and so the thing is though with that is like I never expected him to go that route. I never even had any expectations, but because the ability for him was there, he 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 had the choice and he took it. And and yeah. I, I hate the idea of taking that choice away from the potential for students to learn because yeah. when we were that age, the, there was a lot more potential, with a lot more things to tinker with, and now there's just a lot less. Yeah. And this is gonna make the computer even more scary. So yeah. Well, that is just another good case for when somebody's saying, "So what's the main advantages of Linux over Windows 10?" Well, here's one more you can add to the list. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. It started as a joke, and now I'm here. Noah invited me out to Grand Forks, North Dakota to see his automated home, to see how it all works, and maybe if I'd be interested in doing something just like that, or maybe you. And we thought, 
why not? Why not do it? So we packed up the JB Rover. We came out. And now I am here in Grand Forks, North Dakota to see how Noah actually automated his home. I've already gotten a tour and it is freaking cool. So before we get into that, I want to tell you about our segment sponsor. That is the great folks over at System76.com. They are the creators, the builders of machines that are born to run Ubuntu. And what that really means is you're going to get a really good out-of-the-box experience. All the hardware is going to work. The key, the backlighting on the key is going to be controlled by hardware switches. Your your brightness, your wireless, all of that's going to work great under Linux. And the other thing that's really nice is if you ever opt to go beyond Ubuntu, System76 has done their homework. It's very likely any other distro is going to work just great. They really make sure that a lot of the stuff you want to use is supported by the Linux kernel. And on the really, really rare off chance it's not when they're really pushing the envelope, they create a really nice System76 driver package for you to just kind of smooth out the rough edges. But less and less that's necessary now that so many hardware vendors are upstream are working with the kernel developers. So what System76 has done is created these different machines that they have specially made sure work great with Linux. And they have a good range of selections, laptops and desktops. In fact, if you want like a like a Mac Mini Killer type lap, uh, uh, little uh, machine, the, the Meerkat, it just is such a slick option. It's a better option than the Mac Mini built to run Linux. They also have the Sable, which is an all-in-one, and then they have the Rattel Performance. Under seven, it's six hundred and fifty-nine bucks. That's like fifty-eight dollars a month if you do their leasing, and it is a sleeper. It is a really nice machine. But what I like about it is it's the type of machine that if you're kind of if you do like I do, and you just kind of want to ramp it up, you can add parts into it over time. Now it's sold out. So you're not going to be able to get it till the end of September. So maybe check out some of their other machines. Like the Wild Dog is also like that. You can get it with discrete graphics or integrated graphics and then step it up over time. And if you want to go all the way to the max, they got the Leopard Extreme and the Silver Bag. Some really great machines. Some of these built right here in the US of A. And they have some 12-month financing, all new destinations they can ship to, some new countries. So check that out. System76.com, creators of machines designed to run Linux. Tell them the Linux Action Show sent you, won't you, when you check out? And go get yourself something nice. And get to play with your Linux. Stop fighting with your hardware. System76.com. Thank you, guys. So, Noah, tell me a little bit about why you decided to automate your home. Is it just pure geek factor? And did you uh, did you have a lot of spousal buy-off issues? Because <laughs> that would so, be what I would think a big problem. Automating my house actually started back when I was still living with my parents. And I wanted to... I, I was at Menards, and they had an X10 home automation kit. And it was uh, $100. And you got two little... Um, plug-in modules <clears throat> that you plug into the outlet and then you can plug like a lamp or something into it and turn it off or on with your computer. Now, as a 16, 17 year old kid, I was like, I can turn things on or off with my computer. I have to have that. So I bought it and I took it home. And I first I started off, I set it up on a computer and I was turning my lights on and off. Then I realized that I could use uh, at the time VNC from a laptop over in my bed to shut the light off in my room. And there started this little idea of like, hey, this is actually really neat that I can shut the light off and then make my way to the bed without having to trip over things. Mm -hmm. And then it expanded a little bit more. I bought an X10 remote that I could turn things on and off. And then when I moved out and moved into a condo, I automated the condo with X10. And so I put all the X10 light switches in and I had the X10 remote and I had an X10 bed controller and I, everything was automated with X10. The problem with X10 is it from the very beginning always felt like a bad science project mm. because what would happen is I would walk into the room and I'd hit the button and like 90% of the time everything was fine and the light would turn on but 10% of the time the light wouldn't turn on and then I was just stuck in a dark room and actually that's worse than if, if, no than if, doubt, than if it worked dude. all the time because I lost trust in it yes and so um we moved I moved out of the condo and I moved into my house and I started researching how can I automate my house and I wanted to go I knew from the very beginning that I was going to go all the way I wasn't just going to do just the lights um, and so I wanted to expand beyond that and so I started looking at what I wanted to to automate now you can automate around something 
So they have... You can automate around, around something? something, and I'll explain. Okay. You can automate around a controller. So, for example, Crestron Systems, which we install for commercial venues, there is an automating controller, and everything ties, and it's automated around that controller. So you t- oh, you buy a separate yeah. light system tied yeah, into yeah. the controller, buy a security yeah, yeah. system. Okay. Sort of like that Z-Wave we were looking at, right? Ki- kind of, except it's a much more expensive and proprietary right, yes, and right. less friendly, what? user-friendly version. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and or you can use uh, peer-to-peer automation uh, like uh, Insteon. Insteon is like these you like know, mesh networking. Use mesh networking. Now I tried Insteon and mesh network. It, that that Insteon sounds is, really futuristic, man. It does, but it is a waste of, of 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 frequency spectrum. And so what happens is like the first like two work really well, and then three makes everything else work really well, and then four and five make and then everything. You're jamming up your signal. And after then that? after that, somewhere along the line, there's a diminishing point of return, and then everything starts clouding, and oh, then wow. things stop working. Oh wow! Um, so that didn't work. Now, uh, af- so after that, I looked at a company called HAI, which automates around security systems. So you install the security system and then you can tie your lights into the security system and you can tie, um, you know, the, uh, the, obviously the security system itself and, and home theater and stuff like that. That right about that time, um, if anyone remembers Linux media center came out and that was the promise that you replaced your router with your Linux media center box. Yeah. And it would control, and so being you would li- start play, and it would automatically dim your lights, and it would right. set your all your inputs, and, and it would do all the phones, and, and it, it would close your blinds and yes, mute the phones. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I I bought a box, and I installed Linux Media Center, and it was a complete and total disaster. I mean, yeah, I did just the same thing. Nothing worked. It at never all. worked, did it? Well, so then Why was that? Then I bought another box, and I installed it, and it was a complete disaster. Four times I was dumb enough to buy different hardware, each with a recommendation. Finally, I went on the form, and I said. Somebody give me a recommendation. If you go back on the Linux uh, Media Center forums, you can probably find my post because it's posted under Kernel Linux. And the, these guys said, well, these are, this is the motherboard that we use for testing. And I said, it's no longer in production. And so they go, yeah, but there's a lot of other motherboards that work. And I'm like, all right, let me rephrase my question again more succinctly. Somebody give me a link to something I can buy today on Newegg that will work when I order it and get it in my house and install it because I am sick and tired and I'm at my wits end. And the very next follow-up post was this guy going, dude, I hear you. Believe me, I hear you. I was the exact same way, and every word that you wrote resonates with me really strongly. I just don't have an answer for you. Mine was an older version, and it worked just fine, but they don't make it anymore. And oh, he's man. Like, so, and then I bailed. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just not doing it anymore. So I was, I was, I was friends with the guy, and I called him, and I said, you know, I'm really frustrated. I tried X10, and it, was, it didn't quite work out for me. And I've tried these other little systems for a little bit, and they didn't work. And then I spent a ton of money and a ton of time trying to get this Linux Media Center thing to work, and that didn't work. What can I use? And he said, check out Lutron. So I took a look at Lutron and Lutron had an original system called uh, the Radio Raw system. And the Radio Raw system is RF transmitters. Um, There's RF receiver and transmitters that are inside of the light switches themselves, the dimmers themselves. And then there is there was a central controller that tied into the LAN that gave me access via a web page where I can control the lights and had a smartphone interface and stuff like that. And then they had an IR interface where I could uh, hmm. send remote uh, oh. a command from my remote. And That's then it handy for like that. the TV and the receiver. Yep. And then they had a security system tie-in so I could start tying that in. And then a couple years in, uh, because the, the big limitation with Radio Raw 1 was that it, li- it was limited to 35 devices. Um, so in a small house or a small condo or a small apartment, you're fine, but I wanted to automate everything. And so Radio Raw 2 fixed all the problems that they had in Radio Raw 1. And you can automate. Mm. I can Now it's, I think the upper limit is like, I think it's like 200 devices on a single controller. And then you can add an additional controller for another 200 or something like that. It's absurd. Um, and essentially, you want to consider a couple things when you're looking at a home automation system. And, and you want to consider how do I interface to other systems? Can I tie this light control system into my security system? Can I tie it into a drawer control system? Can I tie it into my home theater? 
you want to look at what kind of I.O. the system offers. Is it communicating over the network um, to tie into these other systems? A really popular way is what we call normally closed or normally open, where there's a set of contacts, the best example of which being like your garage door opener or your doorbell. When I close the set of contacts, something happens. So oh. like when the uh, when you press the button on the garage door opener, right. it's actually connecting a set of contacts that activates the motor and then the right. motor does its thing. So you could take a pair of wires and just touch, touch the em. wires and that would open you and would close start, your garage yeah, door. Yeah. That's a really, really open source, very, a rudimentary open source, but a really, really open source way of doing things. Because you can because, just splice right in, right? Exactly. If, if, if everything, if I say when these two contacts are closed, I want you to make this scene, light scene come on. As long as every other company is making devices that can close contacts based on an action, I can make things happen. And so... When you walk up to my house, the first thing you'll notice is in the corner is there's a camera. So you're on camera all the way from the driveway in so I can see anyone that's approaching. Once you approach the house, there's an RFID reader on the side of the house. You can hold up your credential, your, your, uh, I have my, uh, one that I hang around my neck, but I've also, you've seen the ones it's that like are on a, my, it's like it's a, a key it's a key badge that you would use to get into like a business or something yep. like that. And, and incidentally, you've probably noticed I have the same one at my office. Yeah. So I just carry one key with me. Yeah. I swipe that, that will disengage a set of electromagnetic uh, locks that are on the door. So those, those, those doors are held closed by a magnet? Yep. As, uh, it, it requires 1400 uh, pounds of force to separate the magnets. It would require 650 to punch a hole through the door. So... It, it there yes you're keeping the honest people honest to a certain degree but the reality is i have a huge picture window and a glass yeah. sliding door if somebody yeah. wants to break in they're going to do that yeah 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 now once my credentials are swiped on the on the uh on the rfid system which is made by carry systems it disengages the it de-energizes the electromagnetic lock and simultaneously disarms the security system inside um then i can get into the house when the motion detector on in the inside of the house detects that i've walked in it turns on the lights alternatively if when I'm pulling up in my driveway, I have a transponder in my car. If I push a button, that will start this entire process off and say, turn on the lights, disengage the security yeah, system, unlock the doors. Yeah, I noticed when we came in your front door, uh, so you, you hit the you hit the security badge on your on your mm -hmm. on your on your door. The door opens, and immediately we enter the entryway, and your entryway lights come on like what thirty percent power or something. Everything like that? by default comes on to twenty percent. Twenty percent, okay. Um, and so it's like a nice dim light when you walk in, but it's not. So it's not blasting you in the face. But if it's dark out, it's plenty of light. Right. And what I found was that most people, when you just want to, you just need to, you just need enough light to see what you're doing. It doesn't need to be full bore. Um, and so it will monitor. Now there is an upgrade to the radio raw too. If anyone is concerned about environmental uh, issues. The uh, the up the software upgrade enables it to tie in with the Kronos time clock, and what the Kronos time clock does is it talks to the internet and gets a real time when sunset is and where sun rises. And if it detects the sun is sunny out or if there's cloud cover, it will activate the motion detectors. If it sees that there's tons of sun coming in from the from the windows, it will deactivate the motion detectors. So wow. you can have it set up so that if it's sunny out, yeah. I don't want the lights to come on. Yeah, I asked you, you said you had something in your yard that was automated, and I said, oh, is yep. that using a photo sensor? How does it know when to activate it? Same system. So the the outside landscaping lights are tied into the uh, to the to the Radio Raw Two system, and that's tied to the Chronos system. So the Chronos system goes out to the internet and says, "This is when sunset is," and then it talks to the light controller. And the light controller says, uh, 20 minutes before sunset, I'm going to turn on the landscaping lights, and 20 minutes after sunset, I turn them off." Now the advantage. So does this improve your power usage? Absolutely, because if anyone's ever absent from a room for more than 10 minutes, the lights turn off. Yeah. So there's, I, I can, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, if we're not in the house, I can promise you every light in the house is off. Yeah. And I can also guarantee you that you'll never stand inside of a dark room in my house. Yeah. As long as the light bulbs are energized. And, as as and to the, while we're still on the subject of lights, like you can also do special time of day patterns. So like you right. have like a special setup in the morning. So the way that you program the light, light switches, everyone thinks of light switches as an on or off. And that's a very antiquated way to look at it. Really, we don't want to create 
lights on or off, we want to create scenes. So for example, when I'm cooking in the kitchen, I want a lot of light on the countertops. I want a, a not, I don't want it totally dark, but I also don't need it really bright on the kitchen table because I want to see what's over there. I don't mm -hmm. want this dark area of the house, mm -hmm. but I also don't want to be wasting energy. And then there's going to be people in the living room that need to converse and stuff. But again, I want the primary, they, they, they don't need to be like, you know, it doesn't have to be really bright and blinding to them. And so my kitchen scene gives the focus on the kitchen and I can do work. Then when I go to eat dinner, I want, I want the kitchen to dim down, but I want the focus to be on the dining room. And then when I leave the dining room and I want to go sit down and have conversation afterwards, I want the focus on the living room. So in practice, does this lighting arrangement, um, once it's set up, is it, uh, <clears throat> is it out of mind? Does it, does Flawless. It, so you're not really, you're not, you're not contemplating what mode things are in. Nope. It's just all kind of happening. No, because they're, so the, the, the rule of, so that I'm, I, so far I've been speaking as a consumer. Now we, obviously we install this stuff for other people. As an installer, what we're taught is you arrange those buttons in the, in, in, in order of increasing light intensity. So the bottom button will give the lowest intensity in the room. The top button will give the highest light intensity mm. of the area. Mm. Um, so there is a method to how those are, but no. That seems logical. It is when we go to sit down for dinner. I'll either go up and hit dinner and it's, it is mindless. Or I just tell Sarah, I say, Hey, go hit you dinner. even, you even have it. Don't you have it tied into a degree with the heating system in your bathroom too? Yeah. It, so originally Lutron actually makes a thermostat that tied into the, uh, to, to the HVAC system. I have pulled that out because we're actually selling the house. Um, so if you want to buy a house that's wired for automation, unfortunately with the amount of money I've spent on it, it's all coming with me, but uh, <laughs> it's wired for it though. The yeah, gear is going yeah, with you, but it's wired. Yeah, all this stuff is wired for yeah. it, but the heat lamps in the bathroom are just a function of, it's just a light bulb. And so yeah, in the morning when I get up, there's a button next to my bed that I push and it kicks off the good morning sequence of the house. So coffee pot turns on and the, uh, the, the hot light in the, the bathroom turns on to heat the, the bathroom. Then when I actually get into the bathroom, the motion detector detects me it will kill the heat lamp and then turn the lights to 15 percent because i hate seeing light in the in the morning Super it bright needs light. To be really dark right yeah um in in uh, if i while i had it tied into the thermostat it would at night it was 68 degrees because that's what we like it to sleep at and then during the day at 72 degrees um and that has allowed me to i so i've essentially have automated around the lights right yeah now I have tied that into other things. So for example, universal remote controls or URC as they're kind of called in the, in the business is they uh, allow you to do some really, really creative things with remotes. And so essentially the remotes communicate to a base station via RF. And this is like a remote for your TV, anything like that, well, right? So you can use it for a TV or you oh. can use it for the lights. Or oh, you can, okay. Yeah. So it's a house-wide remote. Right. Okay. And so it's RF and it communicates with the base station. So I have a base station in my, in my home theater, for example. And it has little IR blasters on the receiver and on my Western Digital TV Live and on the projector. And then, of course, it also ties in uh, via RF to the Lutron lighting system. So when I say uh, I'm, I'm coming into the theater, it automatically turns the projector on, automatically turns on the receiver, turns it to the appropriate input, turns nice. on the Western Digital TV oh, Live. Oh, nice. And then uh, dim, turns on the lights a little nice. bit. Nice. When I, you saw when I, when I selected a movie and I hit yeah. play, it yeah. dims the lights down, cranks the volume way you up. You know what I like about that is about once a year, I'm changing up the home theater setup. Yep. And so like I have to retrain everybody on how to use it. And now I got to show the kids and I got to show Ange. And it's just like... It is an intense amount of work just to like change out of maybe a Roku or to change out something like that. So what you're essentially doing is you're making it the same process for your family, regardless right. of the back end technology. Yeah, Sarah's sister actually came over who knows nothing about the, the technical setup and walks and goes, watch a movie, click. Oh, 
Oh, we can watch it. Yeah, and, I, and it's not, it's even more nuanced than that. Like, um, there's different stages. Like, uh, you can, when the movie ends, the lighting right. comes up a little bit. Yep. And, like, while the movie's, like, still getting set up, like, you have, like, dim theater lighting yep. that then darkens completely once the mm-hmm. movie starts. And it's it's really neat. It, 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 and so the thing is, a lot of people overlook the practical uh, ramifications. So you have a security system at your house, right? Mm-hmm. But how often have you ever been in a hurry so you don't think to arm it when you leave? Well, my house knows that if it doesn't detect any motion in the house at all for a for a set period of time and it knows that the request to exit has been initiated which is the 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 detection of somebody leaving the house okay uh, oh if, really yeah it, and so it pieces <clears throat> that together and says after a certain amount of time if there's no motion and the request to exit has been initiated i'm going to arm the system so it's following a certain like a logic tree there right yeah and uh so this is so you've got it you've got it in the theater you got it throughout the house you got it in the bathroom um it's really neat seeing the different scene modes uh, how uh, does this work from like a practical like technology gear standpoint? Is your house riddled with gear? Is it all proprietary? What's that like? So um, the door, the access control system or the door control system is yeah. made by a company called uh, Carry Systems. Okay. The, the software to program it only runs on Windows. I don't actually have a Windows box, so I run that inside of a VM the one or two times I've ever needed to program it. Now, the reality is what I've done, I went through and I programmed a bunch of keys and I turned them on and I just have a stack of keys sitting in the house and I treat it like I would treat any other key in my house. The only time I go into it is if I lose one or if like for now I modified one that I gave to the real estate agent that's selling the house because they can show the house during the day. There's yeah. no reason anyone needs to be in my house after like nine o'clock. So, you, so their keys turned off. Awesome. Yeah. And the only way to program that key though is using VirtualBox and is, Windows. Yep. Is using ah. VirtualBox and Windows. So now that's a downside. Now I did get but it. But it's to, manageable. I did get it to work under Wine, but the to get the COM port because the program with the serial port to get all of that stuff to flow through Wine was just way more work than it was just to run it inside of VirtualBox, and that was a pain. Now, the second piece of software that we used to program is um, uh, is uh, is the Universal Remote Control software, and that, again, only runs on Windows. And so, again, I'm running that in a VirtualBox, but I set that up one time when I programmed the remote, and I haven't touched it since. In mm-hmm. seven years, I've never changed a, a program on the remote. And are you at all, I mean, I know this is going to come up in the feedback. It's already come up in the chat room a couple of times. Um, what about, you know, the the major security ramifications of having your, your locks automated and, and having your security camera systems automated and all of that? Right. Like, that seems like you're asking for somebody to screw with you remotely or something. So uh, the locks, so it's, so when it comes to locks, we have to identify the purpose of a lock. And the purpose of a lock is to keep the honest people honest. When the light is orange and you turn the door handle and it doesn't open, that means I would lo- not like you to enter my house. Now I have other security measures, <laughs> which you've seen. Yes. Uh, and the, so the door and the locks are primarily there for everyone else's safety, not yeah. mine. <laughs> But if but if if you want to get into my house and you prefer not to take my heed my warning that's on the little pro tip here uh, you don't want to do that so if you decide you don't want to heed my warning there are easier ways to get in the house than tampering with the magnetic light I had a friend but actually but just to that point though I think you have a cardinal rule about your home automation system oh I see what you're saying so from so from an electronic hackable standpoint yeah um, the lights could be potentially uh could be potentially compromised because they are connected to the LAN. they're behind the firewall and there's no outside access to them although lutron does support it i have it closed off you've never so enabled you, it so but in theory somebody technically could compromise the router mm-hmm. and technically could compromise mm-hmm. the machine and escalate their access you could technically but the only thing the they would get access to is the lights lights now everything else is completely offline the phone line that the that the, that the security system dials out is and i'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail but suffice to say is it's not just an open wire uh, and it also has a cellular backup. So even if you could find where the wire was and cut it, you still wouldn't stop it from dialing out. Yeah. Um, everything and the, and the door control system, what I would consider the most critical element, is not connected in any way, shape, or form mm. in any imaginable way to mm. the network. Mm. Now, does that mean that I can't unlock the doors uh, from uh, from afar? Yes, that that's what it means. 
But so that you are taking that trade off of remote unlock and lock, I, which I to be honest with you, it would be a major attraction because somebody could be at the JB one studio and need to get in there for an appointment and I'm not there. And, and I could, if I could open the door remotely, that would be nice. And here at the office, I have that, I have it plugged in, but I, I have yet to come up with a time when I want somebody that doesn't already have a key to my house in mm. my house without mm-hmm. me there. That, Plus, in seven years, that's I guess never the alternative come up. is you could also do one of those t- key cards and make it active for a day and just hide it on the that's property somewhere. Yeah, that's what I do. Or like when I had, I'm having people come into the house, I have it active for certain hours during certain days. Yeah. Um, so the realtor, realtor, their little key box. So, um, uh, yeah, that's perfect for that. Yeah. 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 So uh, as a Linux user. Mm-hmm. Do you find this uh, sort of frustrating or do yes. you find it? Oh, okay. Yeah, so no, it, it has, it has it not been ideal for as a Linux user? No, it hasn't been ideal. In fact, that's why when the guy wrote in with the feedback about um, doing uh, what started this entire trip, he wrote in and said, how can I automate my home using Linux? If there was ever a human being on the face of the planet that would, that would, that would automate his house with Linux, be you. I would be doing it. And yeah. if someday I can find a way to do it reliably, I, yeah, reliably, I would even, you know what? I would even take some compromises. Well, what about like bit, that? What about that device like that Z-Wave we talked about in the picks? So the problem is, I I would start my research tree all over again. How yeah. do, how does it interface? Yeah. How does it talk? Right. How is it tied in? What's the longevity of it? Yeah. And you know the the thing is, when you buy into things like Lutron and URC, they're proprietary. They're not open source, and they they're not particularly Linux friendly. But they tie into all the other home automation stuff. Mm-hmm. And the reality is I have always looked at, I always look at it very simple. My hard line in the sand is I won't use stuff that I have to, uh, that I have to use windows to, to consistently use. And you could program the lights. They call it aerobic programming. You can go around and hold the button down on the controller and it'll start flashing and say, set the scene and then run around and set the lights exactly how you want them and then push the button again and it'll save that scene. Right. So you could do it I manually. I could technically do it. With, and so to me, I'm using the software to substitute what I would, and same with the universal remote control. If I absolutely had to, I could manually learn each button. Yeah. So, but it sounds like what you've done is like, well, I can use VirtualBox, and about once every five years, I got to fire up this VirtualBox, and I got to do a thing. Yeah. But other than that, you're not really using and, Windows and, to manage and, and, and it. I'll, and I'll tell you, it's so infrequent that the um, the door controller I have that saved on a on a on a separate hard drive. That it, it's a it's a VirtualBox image that's on a hard drive that I use to, to oh, program yeah, yeah, the doors yeah, in yeah, case yeah. I need it. But when we get to when we go to do the the actual like video portions of this, mm-hmm. you'll see that. I will have to go find the installer for the lights program. That's the last time I've touched it was when I put them in. Speaking of that, we're going to do, and you'll you'll find it if everything goes as planned. Now, it's a little touch and go since we're running around like madmen this weekend, but the plan is to have a separate video embedded in the Linux Action Show show notes and up on our YouTube channel of the video tour of Noah's house. So if this is piquing your interest and you actually want to see some of this hardware and how it's wired together, uh, we're going to have a video for that hopefully by this weekend, which will go out with the show. It'll be supplemental to this episode. So in the episode, we want to talk about the nitty gritty, actually using it, the, the technical hardware that Noah's using, the lessons he's learned. Uh, and then in the video we'll have in the show notes, you can actually see the stuff. I go over one more thing too. a question. Uh, CM in the chat room asks, what happens if the power goes out? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What does? So electromagnetic locks are incredibly power efficient. They draw something like 100 or 200 milliamps. Um and so I have a small DC battery and I know from experience it lasts for about a day and a half and then the, and then the, and then the magnetics will fail. Um, and then your door is unlocked. Right. So you have a choice. You can do an electronic strike, which is you see in the movies all the time. They hit a button here. And what that is, is that's, that's it. That's yeah. a, that, that's a yeah. servo pulling the, pulling the striker back and yeah. then the door's allowed to swing freely. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So I could do that. The problem is that the power fails on that kind of a lock. It's what we call fail secure. So it fails into the lock state yeah. with my doors. It fails safe, which is it fails to the open state. Now, if there's a fire in the house and for whatever reason, the wire that goes to the request to exit is damaged, but the wire that's energizing the magnets is not damaged. The last thing I would like 
is for me to not be able to get out of the house. Sure. So my locks are set up so that if there's ever a power failure or there's ever a system failure, the doors will default to open. And I'm okay with that because, again, like I said, they're not really there for my protection. So. Right. Yeah. And also, uh, if you can run it for a day or so off DC, that's probably going to yeah, cover most yeah. of your and, and the other thing is, too, is we have a generator out back. So mm. it within I have much more things. I'm like the servers that are in my basement. Right. I'm far more concerned about those yeah, yeah, yeah. than I am the door. So yeah. the generator is going to be up and running and backing that stuff up long before yeah. we ever get to So the- if you were going to, you know, you're going to be moving into a new place. Yep. You're going to have to set some of this stuff up again. I am. What is the major takeaway lessons? If you're going to, now you're going to rebuild, what would you do differently? So first thing I'm going to do is I will go, I will start my research all over again to see what's on the market because, you know, we bought the house in 2007. A lot has changed in the, mm-hmm. in the automation market mm-hmm. and I'm going to look at what's there. I won't use anything that requires me to get on the internet. I won't use anything that requires me to activate it. Um, it is entirely possible. I will just transplant my current system mm-hmm. back. Um, and it's been working really well. It has. However, it would be really nice if I could use uh, more open technology or more open source software, hardware-based solutions, that kind of thing. I'd fully be willing to go with that. Um, it just It's one of those things where I just don't touch the software enough that it really bothers my my ethics of, of yeah. using the software. Because it's almost, for that particular device, it's almost more important than it's an appliance. And it is. It, it literally is. I mean, you've seen it. It's a box that screws to the wall and plugs into the power. Um, and the software is, is again, it's an addition to... Uh, in addition to the the programming, you can use the device without the software if you want yeah. to. Well, uh, okay, so faster. I just kind of had a, a, I know it's been a long time since you, you actually probably bought all the original gear and stuff. Yeah. Do you have a rough estimate of how much you spent to automate it? I mean, and it's going to be unique for each house and how much stuff right. they have. But so the light switches are about $170 each. Um, there are four of them in the living room, four of them in the in the entryway, mm, okay. four of them in the garage. There are four downstairs, mm. four in the theater, okay. three in the bathroom, two in each bedroom. Uh, and then two in the kitchen. Did you buy the them all at once or did you piecemeal? Oh, I, I pieced them together. Yeah. I, and the other thing is too, is I was getting dealer pricing, which helps. Um, oh, right. Yeah. So yeah. I, there was a couple of that. I spent probably three or $4,000 in light switches. And then the home theater was 10 grand plus easy. I mean, the screen alone was probably $1,500 and the projector at the time was like five or six. Um, so it, it was a lot. Now, somebody had asked about what it was like with my with my wife, right? Yeah, what's the spou- uh, I, so, I think I said, what was the spousal I, approval factor? So here, here was the spousal <laughs> approval factor. Everything was fine. And first, she thought it was really uh, convenient until she went out in her bathrobe to collect the mail or something in the middle of the, the winter. Let me tell you what not to say when she comes back in and the door has automatically relocked. Oh, my gosh. Do not ask your wife. Did you remember your key? I, I, learned, I learned with experience. Do not ask your wife why she didn't take her RFID security credentials with her. When right. she left the when the, she left the that's not house. what she wants to hear. That was not what she wanted to hear. <laughs> that she was, was snowing. She was rather upset. Um, <laughs> what uh, uh, what was the, what was the make of the door system? Made by a company called Carry Doors, and I really like them because they're a smaller outfit, and they actually worked with me to get it to to kind of work with wine when I asked them. Um, it wasn't a, like I said, it wasn't really a, I wouldn't actually recommend it cause it was such a pain. Yeah. Um, but it, that also ties into the Cisco SIP system too. So if I dial a specific extension, it will unlock the doors, which is kind of cool. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. neat. That's another thing that got damaged when we had the water damage, but, uh, yeah. it's definitely something that'll be going into the new house. So, uh, I got two more questions for you. Yeah. Um, and a couple of them from the chat room. So mm-hmm. the first one is cause you mentioned this to me really briefly yesterday when we were touring all of this. And I, and I just curious if you want to expand upon it on the, on the show here is, you said maybe one day you could even see yourself powering some of this with solar. Yeah. So I actually have in my basement a, like a four or 5,000 watt inverter. It's a big old thing. Um, and what I wanted to do was in my bedroom, I power five things. I power the television. Yeah. I power my alarm clock. I recharge, I recharge my cell phone and glass and the light above my head. Right. Yeah. And all of those things are used for very brief amounts of time. The lights used for maybe an hour max in the day. TVs used for maybe a couple hours. 
And then of course the alarm clock is powered 24 seven. So I started to think, you know what? It wouldn't be that hard to have a battery run a, an inverter and I could probably run the entire bedroom off of the inverter. So I, I, I quick rigged it up like test, like just setting the solar panel outside and trying all that. And it worked. I was able to run it. And I thought, <laughs> That's awesome. and so then I started thinking, here's what I could do. I could build a battery bank and then I could just start tying one by one, switching breakers over from the, uh, from shore power over to my DC system. The problem I started to have is I started to go down a rabbit hole and you'll understand when I say this, I started to get to a point where I'm like, well, the light in my bedroom is AC. Why do I need an AC light? Why not put a DC light in? It'll be more efficient. It'll draw less power. I could use LED. Oh my God. Yeah. You see where yeah, this is going, I right? Totally so, and so then I start to get to, so I bought one of the like the little ones that are in our campers Yeah. and I tried it and I'm like, this works really well. And then really? I, then I had to stop myself and I'm like, Noah, do not rip all of these standard fixtures out of your house and put camper fixtures in especially since you're considering selling the house. I, I, I stopped myself. But I, love it. I, I did go down that, that thought process, but I do want to switch over time my house over to solar. And and now that things like the Tesla battery has come out, mm. I think that solar is just going to take Yeah, that Tesla off. home battery. Yeah. So uh, Jordan has in the chat room, if you're just telling us all about this because you're selling your house. Actually, ironically, I should say, I, I'll share this part of the story. So, uh, like the week before I'm coming out here or yeah. like two days before I'm leaving or something. Two days before you left. Yeah. I yeah. was like, uh, this isn't really a big deal, uh, but, um, turns out I'm going to be having my house on the market when you get here. Right. Like it was totally unplanned. At, at the time and now that, we kind of have to jump around it because people are, sh you're, they're showing the house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and at the time, at the time we talked about this episode, this was, none of this was in the works. I mean, no, it, it no, just, no. but at, at, the, the thing is, um, the thing is that we had some life changes. And so as that happened, we've decided that we need to move into a slightly bigger space. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so we started looking and uh, all of that has just happened in the last month or so. Um, well, after the time that we back in April, I think, is when we started planning this. So yeah. it was well after that. But now that it's there, if you are interested in a house that is entirely wired for home automation, the theater is, is going to the theater is going to stay. I'm taking the equipment with me, but it's it's certainly all set up for a theater. It's painted and and everything is set up. There's links in the show notes nice. to to the listing of the house. And hopefully they're going to get the rest of those pictures updated. And you can you can kind of see it. Um, there's cat five all over the place. Uh, cat 60 in some places. Def it's wired for SIP and for Internet. Um, and and the, other, and the other thing is too is I have access point uh, placement all over the house. Yeah, you because do. as I was like, well, I want one here, and I want a guest access point in the guest room, and I so I, I had all that stuff planned out. I just never actually got around to. Doing all right, it. then the last question, uh, which I think is a pretty good one, it came from JA in the chat room. He says, uh, "Is it eight hundred two eleven and Ethernet or custom wireless?" He says, "I know the remote is IR, but how is the network communicating? Is it RF? What's going on there? For, uh, network to what?" Like how are the how it does the controller tell the lights when to turn on? Like how that are, is what's, that is RF. That's that is uh, I believe it's eight hundred megahertz RF. So the okay. controller is the controller is is so it's it starts at the router and the controller is tied into the network and then the controller talks to the lights via RF. The remote talks to its base station via RF, which then talks to the lights via the network. So it's going. So okay. if I, if I, so if oh, I okay. hit a command on the on the remote, it's going RF to the con to to its base station through the Cat five through the network to the light controller, back out to RF to the light switch, and then the lights do something. The I have yet to find something I can't tie uh, into something else. Like every time I think every my creativity is the limit. Like I, <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm like it'd be really nice if I could open the door from my phone while I'm sitting downstairs. And I look, and sure enough, somebody makes a freaking close contact module that will trip the request to exit to unlock the door by dialing a specific extension. It's made by Viking, actually, if anyone's interested in it. So I, I got that. And it that was, is neat. It, it, it's, it's really, really fun when I start thinking, well, maybe if I could set up a thing so that when I open the garage door, it automatically disarms the security system. Because yeah. obviously I'm coming in the house. Oh, well, yeah, again, that's just a matter of tying the closed contacts there to the yeah. security system. You know, I have a real, like, if you just want to play around with automation and you have a smartphone, mm -hmm. and you just want real basic 
basic, like super basic automation. Mm-hmm. But take out, check out Tasker on iAndroid because one oh, of the yeah? things I did, and this is super minor, but one of the things I did with Tasker is when I joined my Wi-Fi network, it sends a wake on LAN packet to my machine and fires oh, it up. Yeah. So by the time I walk to my office, my computer's all ready to go and my machine's all fired up. That's the, that's the wow. most automated I get. But yeah. you can play with stuff like that using Tasker on Android because you can say when you join Wi-Fi and it's this SSID, send this wake on LAN magic, magic packet and stuff like that. All right, so here's the million dollar question. You ready for this? Now that you've seen it firsthand and kind of seen the experience and then kind of heard me describe it, has your opinion of home automation changed at all? Um, yeah, yeah, actually, I think it has. Um, I think I do like more of the appliance base approach because okay. I don't, I, 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 if, if I was having a bad day and yeah. I was really busy and I had to then deal with like a crashing home automation system, yep. I would not be a happy camper. Right. I completely agree with you, but I got to tell you in seven years, I have never once walked into a room with the lights haven't come on. I have never once touched a light switch that hasn't come on because remember the light switches yeah, are actually control- yeah right yeah. they're actually controlling right. the lights yeah um but they feel futuristic though it's it, you know it's like a mouse where you click once yeah. and it comes onto a predefined scene you click twice and it, it goes forward. yeah that's cool you can um, you can four tab it as another you know what i was actually thinking no it's funny because this is just how i frame everything right now because i'm on this road trip you know right now yeah, and yeah. i'm thinking to myself man if I if I automated certain things in the rover, then yeah. I could guarantee I'm not draining down the batteries. Yeah. Like I'd be nice to be able to remotely turn off the water pump in the furnace when I'm mm-hmm. not using them, so that way I'm not burning through propane. Right? Those contacts, man. They're all there's all. That's all, all that switches. is. That's I all know. that is. So yep. that's what when you're saying that, that's what I was like. I could make the rover really badass because that's like it, actually approachable. <laughs> you could make it so when you open the door, it automatically kicks on all those switches, like yes. hot water and stuff like that. Oh, that'd be cool. You could make a pressure pad outside your bed so when you step outside the bed, it kicks on the hot water and turns mm, it down. That would be a good idea mm-hmm. too, yeah. Because it's even when you're when you're living off the grid and you're running off batteries and solar and water tanks, um, anything you can do to sort of make sure your own stupidity doesn't hurt you, like uh, we got lucky. So we showed up here in Grand Forks and... Uh, we were exhausted. And yeah. so, you know, you got us a hotel room, which was mm-hmm. very nice. Thank you. By the way, that, the way they have that pool set up is sweet. It's yeah. like you have a view, even though it's just a pool. It's really cool. So what uh, what did you notice in the lobby? Anything specific in the Ubuntu lobby? Ubuntu in the lobby. <laughs> very nice. Sir. Did you notice that the windows? Made? Nobody so was had, touching the windows so box. They just redid this hotel. And the, so the owner calls me and he goes, I need a really nice kiosk that my guests can use and be really excited. I said, no mm-hmm. problem. I'll have it. So we got like a really nice futuristic looking monitor and got an Intel Nook and, you know, it's the kiosk computer. And so we got all that set up in, in, our, in, our, in our stock Ubuntu customized setup and get put all that in. The Windows computer gets used so infrequently now that it actually falls asleep and just nobody even knows it's there. Like yeah. it looks like it's off. Yeah. In fact, it might be off. I don't even know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that is it was great. So we get in the hotel room, right? And we just immediately didn't think about the trailer because we were exhausted. We've been driving for hours and hours mm-hmm. and hours. And and I realized that one of the things that we did was we left the brake controller to the truck hooked up, which means it was trickle charging uh, the batteries mm-hmm. in the in the in the trailer. But the problem was is we, we left a couple things on. Yeah. Um, and if I could have just had the system sense that we weren't in the yeah. trailer anymore for like, say five hours had gone by and yep. it turned off, then what, see what could have potentially happened is if I hadn't caught that this morning, say mm-hmm. I left the truck like that while we're doing this all day, mm-hmm. I might've drained the battery all the way down in the truck. You know, you should look into this. My Jeep, which is also made by Dodge has, uh, has some sort of a system in it where if it detects a certain current draw on a specific, uh, fuse after a certain amount of time, it'll kill the power to that fuse. Really? And I would almost bet your truck has the same feature. Maybe. 
Yeah. Maybe. But it got me thinking uh, about automation and it got me thinking about like, oh, this is now now that I'm living in a, in a machine that uh, has limited resource, limited propane, limited water, limited battery power. And that battery power has to not only power all my lights and all of my stuff and all my uh, all my other niceties, but it also has to power all my work gear, too. Right. So it's super critical that, uh, you know, I don't mess that up. And yeah. there I could see some serious potential. So. I have I have changed my mind a little bit. I think what I'll probably do is uh, research along with you where you're setting up for the new place and kind of see what works. I love the idea of doing it on one of those Raspberry Pi based devices, but you know we'll see. And if you find a way to automate 12 volt DC, man, I'll be right there with you. Yeah. So well, maybe people could let us know. In fact, if you want to get in hold of me specifically for something about the roadshow, email me rover at jupiterbroadcasting.com. That's where I'm taking uh, roadshow and trailer specific uh, info and feedback. And I've been getting some awesome, awesome, awesome emails, some really geek, geeky stuff out there that guys are suggesting to me that I really appreciate. So if you've got any ideas on how I could do this and open source would be my preference, yeah. uh, rover at jupiterbroadcasting.com would be where to send that. No, anything else you want to touch on? I think we pretty much got it. All right. If you guys have any questions, send them into the show, Linux Action Show at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And don't forget, we can always always use more suggestions for different technology, you can submit those to the subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. And if anybody's ever gotten Linux MCE working to actually automate their home, not not, not to dog on the project, but both both Noah and I tried it and just came up uh, came up bus. But if you've got Linux MCE automating your home, I'd like to hear it, linuxactionshow.reddit.com and maybe even a video of it if you're bold enough. All right, that's the Linux Action Show's look at Noah's automated home from the future. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. And we got a couple of emails to get into. Also, just uh, I'll mention it. Um, uh, if you want to check out Noah's listing, or if you, I, I doubt there's probably anybody listening in the Grand Forks area that wants to buy a home right now. But if you know a family member or friend who might, uh, send them a link and uh, that'd be great. So I am going to read Ben G's email about DMX lighting. How appropriate. He said, I saw an episode earlier this year that involved QLC Plus and DMX lighting. I'm in a position where I can save someone a lot of effort and money on a new DMX light lighting setup uh, after converting them to a Linux user, by the way. However, I'm not familiar enough with DMX lighting to go in and get this done. I wanted to control 12 lights with QLC plus with Linux compatible hardware. What would I need? What I look, what I'm looking at is a DMX 512 board. It seems like they only have one input, even if they have 16 or so channels. So can you guys help? Uh, Noah, before we answer that, mm -hmm. what the hell is QLC plus? What the hell is DMX? QLC Plus is a program that controls lights on the DMX protocol. DMX is a protocol that's used to control lights. Now, we actually did an episode on um, yep. QLC Plus and, yep. and, and DMX. The party uh, mode episode. <laughs> right, yeah, a little earlier, and, and we did a lot of fancy stuff. And, of mm -hmm. course, that's all being done with Linux. Now, I uh, actually use a controller. <clears throat> you can get it for $37 on Amazon. It's called the RioRand UXB to DMX interface adapter, and it's available for $37, and it's Prime eligible. Now, DMX is channel based. So if I assign, I, I can assign and it's all, if you're familiar with IP addresses, it's very much the same in that we have, a we have, we start at one and we end at 255. Um, if I assign a channel of one, I can assign a value of either one to 255. So channel one can have uh, a value of 255, which means on all the way, or it can have a value of zero, which is off completely. So then you can send in individual between. lighting uh, levels to that specific or channel. groups of lights too. Okay. So let's say I had like five of them on yeah. one wall. I can put them all to channel like three and okay. tell them all to go to 60 and then all to go to off and then all to go to 60 and all that kind of thing. And then you can, um, you can set up so that I can have uh, groups of channels and, and do different things. Yeah. All, you only need one port because they're all chained together. So every DMX lighting device has an in and an out. 
So if I go, so from the USB controller, I will plug a DMX cable out of my laptop into the first light and then to the second, to the third, and to the fourth. And because they're individually channeled, you don't, it doesn't matter which order they're plugged into. Because uh-huh, they each all, have their own address I mean, channel, usually, essentially. Exactly. Now, usually what we'll do is we'll have them all addressed ahead of time, and then we will hang them up and just cable as it makes sense. Um, but you don't have to do it that way. Mm. Um, but to get started, $37, and of course, QLC Plus is free, and you'll be able to do that on any modern Linux distro, although we've had the best luck on Ubuntu 12.04. There you go, 12.04. All right, you want to take uh, James B. James B. Email. writes in with a huge thank you to the Linux Action Show and the crew. I wrote mm. in a few days ago thanking Chris and the team for helping me inspire to get into Linux, and it led to my first interview for Linux job. I'm writing you now back to tell you that I got the job hey. and that mentioning I listened to the show uh, in the interview definitely helped. If you all want a previous uh, letter of testimonial or adverts or whatever, please feel free to use me. The work you do has changed my life and all of my family for the better. I will definitely be signing up as a patron soon. That's amazing. Guys. Yeah, and that's so, at patreon.com slash today. We could use some support. And I think that's a really good example of the content that you hear here on the Linux Action Show and the resources that we point you to, things like DigitalOcean, things like uh, Linux Academy. Um, those are resources that if you use them, will get you far in the workplace. And there, and there are things that, you know, both you and I have worked uh, in, in in that IT spectrum. So we know the things that are mm-hmm. valuable and you're very picky of those people that you bring onto the network. Exactly. So if you put your name behind it, you can trust that that's probably something that's really going to be beneficial to you. I, I want to talk about James' James's point about mentioning listening to the podcast in his interview. And I wouldn't imagine it's just the, it's not just the Linux Action Show that would probably have helped him. Um, I think, you know, as somebody who's um, invo- has done many interviews to hire technical people, one of the things I try to suss out in those interviews, and I haven't done this for a couple of years, but one of the things I would try to do, and no, I'm betting you do the same thing. Is are they, they a geek or are they looking for money? Are they doing this because it's a lifestyle or are they looking to make money at a job? And if they're doing it because they love it and they're passionate and it's a lifestyle, then that means that they have a natural inclination to go learn more on their own. Mm-hmm. And as an employer, that means they're going to be a real valuable asset to me. And one of the ways I can suss that out in a 30-minute interview is if they tell me about some of the things they do on the side that are technology-related. Listening to a really geeky technology podcast, being dedicated like that, would would definitely be a good check in my box too if I'm trying to interview somebody. And if it's a if it's a sysadmin position mm-hmm. and they're listening to the Linux Action Show, you're damn right. I would think that's a really good thing. I so I think that's I think it's totally legit because it 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 demonstrates to the employer that this is actually really a passion thing for you and that it's likely something that you're going to stick at. The uh, the folks at Red Hat when we interviewed them said that one of the biggest things they ask is when they say, well. Tell me about your. Tell me about why you care about open source involvement. If the next words out of your mouth are all the places that you've been paid to do open source work, that just doesn't hang as well as all the stuff that you volunteered mm. in the community to do. If mm. you say these are my pet projects that I'm going to do with or without a paycheck, he said, exactly. if that's how they treat a project when they don't have a paycheck, just right. imagine what they can do if I give them some money. Exactly, exactly. And uh, so that's James. That's great. And James, thank you also for taking the time to uh, send that feedback in because yeah. it's that kind of feedback that really does kind of inspire us to keep going. So I really appreciate that. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Also, patreon.com slash today if you'd like to support any of the shows. Yeah, it's a Tech Talk Today page, but the funding there goes to pay the back-end production staff and things like that that affect and improve all of the shows. So thank you very much, James. That means a lot to us. Noah, is there anything else we want to cover in this week's episode? I don't think so. Thanks for coming all the way from Washington, Seattle, Washington, breaking your truck <laughs> to, 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 to make it here a day early, nonetheless, and putting up with the fact that you can't really be at my house for different hours of the day that we can't even really identify. You know, not only, that is actually, not only did we, because my, so those of you who haven't been watching the, uh, the Rover Log updates that I've been posting on YouTube, um, my truck blew up on me as I was leaving town. And I actually thought it was the end of the road trip. And we lost a day because of that. 
So not only did we lose a day, but we managed to make that day up and make it here a day early, which was really, really great because that gave me the time to work on some of our other shows too. Actually, in retrospect, I don't know how we would have pulled this off and not haven't been there because like we had so many little things yeah. to, to sort out. Yeah. If we hadn't gotten started, I think we'd ended up punting a show. Yeah, I agree. And I, and that's why, um, uh, what was it? Uh, Wednesday. We drove for like 16 hours yeah. total. It was just a we, marathon. We got here to give you guys an <laughs> it was idea. like 12, I think. To give you an, a guys an idea of what happens behind the behind the camera, we got here at nine in the morning. We have not left. No, it's like, five we, now. <laughs> we, we have been here the entire time. And then when we're done, we're going to go pack up a bunch of video gear yeah. and we're going to go film for another four hours. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So it's crazy. Woo, woo. <laughs> That's how we like to party around here at the Linux Action Show. All right. If you'd like to submit something, some content, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. That's also a place to go for the feedback thread. And uh, a great spot to just get our attention over there. You can send us an email directly. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. I'll give one more plug to track the uh, road trip in real time. Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover. You can follow Noah on Twitter. He is at Colonel Linux. I am at Chris LAS. You can follow the network at Jupiter Signal. Those are all good resources, those Twitter accounts. Even if you're not a Twitter user, you can get updates about what's going on. So if you're... If you uh, want to know where, where a show's at or where what, what we're doing, you can go look at those Twitter feeds, being a Twitter user or not. And that's a nice. Also, you can follow the network on all the other, all the fi- fantastic places like Google Plus and Facebook, etc., etc., and on YouTube as well. I don't ever really mention those very often, but we do have uh, some YouTube-specific things that uh, aren't currently on the site, but will probably be on the site later. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. So a couple of kind of funny things, you know, when you plan a road trip and, and you bring a, you bring a RV trailer, you, um, you, you kind of don't bring other things that you normally would bring on a road trip, like bags and suitcases and stuff, because all your things are in this trailer. And so you don't need to take that anywhere. So why bring a suitcase, right? Why, why bring a suitcase if you're traveling on a road trip and you're taking your trailer and everything you are bringing with you is in that trailer? Well, because when you get to Grand Forks, Noah is nice enough to put you up in a hotel, and then, like an animal, you got to carry everything in from your trailer hand by hand, three or four trips. And then, like, so this morning, I'm taking a shower. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay, so I don't have any deodorant or toothpaste, um, and my hair brushes out in the trailer. Okay, I got to go back out to the trailer. And then I get, like, out there. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to get closed. <laughs> and then, like, I had to come here to the studio, and like a, like a monster, I'm carrying two laptops and two power bricks. So my hands are full with just computer stuff because I didn't bring my computer bag because... Why would I bring a computer bag? I'm not taking my computer anywhere, but in the trailer. Yeah. So lesson learned on that one. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. So I, I am using a grocery bag right now to carry the laptops. <laughs>